Welcome to the Conscious Culture Cafe, the podcast that explores how you can lean into your purpose, live your values, and enhance your social impact through your work. I'm your host, Kathy Miller Perkins. Have you ever been in a situation where people are drinking, maybe you're joining them, and all of a sudden you see somebody who's engaging in a behavior that you consider to be inappropriate, if not dangerous? What do you do? Brown Foreman, one of the largest spirits and wine producers and distributors in the U.S., takes on that challenge. They believe in creating a responsible drinking culture. And part of that culture is to help people like you and me understand how we can intervene when we're in a drinking environment where people are not on their best behavior. I have three people with me today who are going to talk about their program, their bystander intervention program. First of all, I have Taylor Ammerman, who is the Global Alcohol Responsibility Manager for Brown Foreman. She heads up programs such as addiction recovery, showing respect for the choice not to drink, and bystander intervention. She's joined by her colleague, Emma Briscoe, who is responsible for leading the Chambord and Ford's Gin trademarks for Brown Foreman. And finally, we're joined by Melissa Emall, who is the Director of Training for Altruistic. Altruistic is a nonprofit organization focused on preventing interpersonal violence. Emma concentrates on developing and delivering training to prevent and intervene against personal violence. Welcome, you three. Let's talk about creating a responsible drinking culture. Taylor, Brown Foreman is an alcohol company. That's what you sell. So why responsible drinking? What is it that led to a program on responsible drinking? And really, what does responsible drinking culture look like? So... First of all, corporate responsibility means a variety of things to Brown Foreman. It means our environmental sustainability efforts in our production facilities. It means diversity and inclusion. It means community relations with all of our charitable giving and employee volunteerism. But of course, our most material issues are related to alcohol and preventing any kind of harm from happening. So for us, our goal is to create a responsible drinking culture. And in order to do that, we know that it has to start with our employees before we can help influence that broader culture. We address a variety of issues. So probably not surprising is to prevent drunk driving, to prevent underage access and consumption, and to promote moderation of our products should you choose to drink. But I think a few others that make Brown Foreman a bit different is we have a lot of efforts to respect the choice not to drink. 30% of Americans every year choose not to drink. So we want to ensure that is a respected choice at Brown Foreman. I would think that some of your business people, and that, that's going to bring us to Emma here in a second, that some of your, your business people would think that that's bad for business, that you're, if you're encouraging people not to drink, do you ever get pushback? Oh, of course. Yes, we get pushback constantly on various issues that we deal with. But at the end of the day, we know it's good for our business because everyone is welcome, right? It's not a prerequisite to work for Brown Foreman is that you have to be a drinker. 
Yeah, it's all about inclusion. Yeah, I think another point that we talk about too is we never want someone to have a bad experience with our products because then, you know, they'll we would like for them to be a consumer and a, a friend of the brands for life. So, you know, you have people sometimes who say, oh, I, I can't even look at tequila because I had a bad experience with it in college. You know, that is kind of a silly example, but we don't want anything like that to ever happen. And that's why moderation is, to Taylor's point, a good thing for our business. I'd like to get into one particular program. You have lots of programs under this responsible drinking. They're all interesting. We could do a podcast on each one probably. But the one that I really want to talk about today has to do with intervention. And I'm not sure what you call that program, but the three of you, Melissa, Emma, and Taylor, all three of you are involved in this program. And Taylor, do you want to just introduce what the program is? And then we can, we can talk from the standpoints of the other two people as well. Absolutely. So one of our focus areas is to support bystander intervention. Personally, I've been on this journey since college where I was a recipient of this training at the University of Kentucky, which is where Green Dot training um, was founded and started. So I've known about this great work for almost 15 years, which is hard to believe. What's Green Dot training? So that is the program of Altruistic, the organization. And so in in this role, what we were finding is that we were being brought into several conversations related to the role of alcohol in sexual harassment and sexual assault. We would see these headlines on college campuses, in the military, and unfortunately, alcohol was being blamed for those inappropriate actions. So we wanted to provide a real solution to changing that culture that said these behaviors are acceptable. And again, it ties into our business because a lot of times leaders were responding to these horrible incidences by saying we are going to remove alcohol off base or off the campus. Ah, yeah. Yeah. And so we want to say, no, okay, alcohol is involved and we need to acknowledge that it is involved in around 50% of incidences, but it is not the cause. And so let's provide a real solution like Green Dot training with Altruistic to change that culture. So when you say alcohol was blamed, is that people were saying things like, well, they were drunk and that's why this happened? Is that what you mean by blaming alcohol? Yeah, by saying it's an excuse for it. And we're saying, no, that's not okay. Okay. All right. So the program, you partner with two other people in this program. Your business partner is Emma. Emma, how did you get involved in this program? So one of the things that I was talking about with Taylor over time is I've always been on the brand side and we've always thought about how do we bring our two worlds closer together and make it so that promoting responsibility in whatever form it is, is a part of the brand strategy and not just an add-on or an afterthought or, you know, a tagline at the bottom of a message that says drink responsibly. How do we do something that's a little more impactful? And so on Sean Board, one thing that we were thinking about is how do we interact with our bartender world in a way that's a little bit more meaningful? So In the alcohol industry, you have brands that are constantly trying to get bartenders to 
poor and serve their brands, right? And for the brand to be top of mind. And it's a, a big competition. And a lot of the times brands will, you know, treat bartenders to experiences or do bartender competitions where they win a trip to the distillery or oh, really? <laughs> uh, you know, give them free swag. And all of those things are great because, you know, a lot of that, all of that goes to supporting the bartender community. But one thing we wanted to do is give them tools that make them better at their jobs, because that's something that can help them succeed in their careers and be more successful and isn't just giving them, you know, another Bluetooth speaker or something like that. Right. So we thought about our consumer who is primarily female and what would be something that would be also meaningful to the consumer. And so we talk all the time about, oh, you know, this brand wants to empower women and send uplifting messages of we're here to support, but what are we actually doing to support the people who consume our brands? And so given what Taylor said about alcohol being present in 50% of sexual assault incidences and bartenders being on the front lines of that, where a lot of the time, you know, they're standing behind a bar and they might see some behavior that is is uncomfortable or something that they think might be problematic or lead to something problematic in the bar. What do they do in that situation? And when you hear the word intervention, you immediately think, okay, this is, you know, the way to do this is a major confrontation where everyone turns around and, and it causes this big ordeal. And so the curriculum, and I'll let Melissa speak to this, but the curriculum of, of altruistics program is not at all that. And it's really more about realistic solutions. And so what we have since done is at bartender conventions all across the country is offer this program. Oh, okay. The altruistic trainers are incredible. Again, I'll let Melissa speak to that, but give bartenders an opportunity to experience this training. And even in the past three years or so, this has been a really, really big topic of conversation in the bartender community, just like it's been a big topic all over. But we know that this is a way that we can't, you know, our aim is to train every bartender in the United States. And this is a way that we can start to have an impact in our world. So the relationship then with altruistic, as I understand it, and you've both of you have mentioned altruistic a couple times, so we need to bring Melissa into this conversation. They actually, your nonprofit, Melissa, actually produces and delivers the curriculum. Is that correct? That's correct. So we're a national nonprofit that's focused on reducing what we call power-based personal violence. And so that's things like sexual assault, stalking, child abuse, domestic violence, workplace harassment, bullying, kind of all of those things. And one of our main programs is called Green Dot. It's a program that was developed for college campuses, but since has spread to communities and high schools and the military and now to businesses like Brown Foreman and and Chambord. The program really focuses on training people to recognize potentially harmful situations and then to have some realistic discussions about what makes it difficult for us as bystanders to step in when we do see those concerning things, um, and then provides a lot of practical skills for people to find some way to intervene that feels realistic, safe, comfortable for them. Can you give an example? How would you teach a bartender, for example, to intervene? 
Well, when we started this partnership, one of the first things that we did was conduct a bunch of focus groups with bartenders to ask them, what are the kinds of things that you're seeing as you're going through your workday that are potentially concerning for you? And then um, when you see those concerning things, what makes it difficult to intervene? So for example, a bartender might see someone buying drinks or pushing drinks on someone who they aren't sure what the relationship is between the two people. Maybe it looks like the person who is sort of on the receiving end of the purchase of the drinks looks uncomfortable or doesn't Ah. look enthusiastic about it. And so in that moment, a bartender is faced with, okay, this looks like an uncomfortable situation. And yet my job is to sell drinks. So how do I um, navigate that difficulty and find some way to intervene? And there's lots of options. We actually train with three different options. We call them the three D's to help people remember, but it's that you could directly intervene. You could delegate to someone else or you could distract from the situation. So for example, the bartender could directly say, if they felt comfortable, hey, that the person looks uncomfortable. So I'm not going to you know, provide you with any more drinks. But that might not work for everybody. That's, uh, you know, kind of socially risky. Um, and yeah, and right. it might, um, you know, they might be worried that it would make the, the customer upset. And so they could use the distract option, changing the subject, offering the person a free play at the pool table, um, offering a person uh, money to go change the music on the jukebox, or they could use the delegate option. So maybe they're busy, you know, they're in the middle of making, uh, you know, tons of drinks. And so they don't really have time to address it. Maybe they just ping a server and say, Hey, can you help me keep an eye um, on that? And maybe when you see the person wander to the bathroom, just check in with them and see if they're okay. So it's really lots of options. Is one of those options more powerful than the other or do the, are they equally powerful in your opinion? I think that they're equally powerful. The reality is the most powerful intervention is the one that somebody would actually do. Oh, and good when, point. When we narrow the focus and say, here's the right thing, it makes it inaccessible because if it's not realistic or the person's not comfortable, they probably just simply won't do anything. Do you do any follow-up with these bartenders? How do you know that they're using what they've learned? We do a survey with folks after we've trained them to ask them how the training was received. Did they you know, enjoy the experience and how likely is it that they would be able to use the skills that they practiced in the workshop? Those survey results have been really positive. Lots of people feeling like the options were really powerful in terms of ways that they could both intervene, but also not you know, potentially impact or harm their, their livelihood. That's wonderful. Well, let's go back to Taylor for a minute. Taylor, you mentioned earlier that your employees are a real focus of your responsible drinking efforts. How do your employees fit into this picture in terms of bystander intervention? Yeah, great question. So we've explored this in a variety of ways. First thing that we do is when when we are in a specific market doing this training with bartenders, we will invite our local employees to also participate. Oh, with the bartenders. With the bartenders. Mm -hmm. Oh, okay. Exactly. And then here at our headquarters, we have done a couple that are only for Brown Foreman employees, as well as our distributor partners, which is that middle layer to the alcohol industry. Because again, Ah. it takes all layers to be trained. And then we're currently exploring how to reach every employee, especially globally, because this type of work doesn't discriminate on location and where you are. And so we want to make sure we're reaching all of our employees. 
Yeah. Do you see any cultural differences from one country to another? I think kind of cultural norms on how to intervene might vary, whether... I wondered about that. That seems to me that that would be likely. Yeah. But at the end of the day, we're all humans. And so there's also a lot of similarities that we've seen. Emma, Chambord is certainly a global brand. What are your thoughts about, are there any cultural differences that you see? So it's interesting because when I first shared this program with some of my global colleagues, our core markets outside of the U.S. are the U.K. and Australia. So not, you know, radically different cultures from from the United States. But it was interesting to see their response because they were like, huh, it sounded like at the time it was much more common for brands in the United States to also take on a cause or to support altruism in their work. So Uh not just marketing. So that was really more of where the difference was rather than the importance of or value in this specific topic and addressing it with our consumers. But at the same time, since then, things, you know, have, have changed overseas. And I think that brands are more interested in doing this type of work. So we, we have gotten more questions about it lately. So that's been my experience in terms of dealing with some of our overseas markets. But certainly if we went to some other European markets or some Asian markets, I think the questions would be different as well. Okay. And so, Melissa, you're on the delivery end of this, and I'm not just interested in the cultural piece of it, although I am interested in that, obviously, but what about the different types of audiences? How do you adjust the program, for example, to different cultures or different audiences like employees versus bartenders? Are the programs the same? Are they different? How do you flex to the audience? So there are some core things that stay the same regardless of the setting and regardless of the audience. Those core things are teaching people to recognize concerning behaviors when they see them. Then second, teaching people to acknowledge the barriers that they have to intervention. So what are the things that when they see those concerning things, stop them from doing something? And then the last two things that stay the same are teaching people the skills for reactive responses. So how do I sort of react when I see that concerning thing in a way that makes sense? And then the last is, how do we actually begin to get ahead of this and begin to shape our environments proactively in ways that make the environment then inhospitable to these types of behaviors? So those core things stay the same. Now, what changes is maybe the delivery method, certainly the examples that we use to illustrate the problem, maybe the language that's used, et cetera. But those core things we think are the really important tenets of preventing these forms of harm. So say more about this proactive piece. That seems very interesting in terms of the environment, creating an environment that discourages these sorts of behaviors. What's that look like? What it looks like practically in the workshop is getting individual bystanders to think about what are they contributing to their environment with their words, with their actions, that let the people around them know that these forms of harm are not okay with them, and that there's an expectation that the people around them also help to solve this problem. So in real life for a bartender, that might be that they 
are given some swag that has something to do with bystander intervention at the workshop and they choose to actually wear it or display it. It might be that if they manage other folks at the bar, that when they're having their staff meeting, they carve out five minutes to say, okay, let's remember what we learned in that workshop. Let's all stay safe on shift tonight. If there's things that come up, let's remember those three Ds, the direct delegate distract options that we um, learned about. So it's kind of proactively setting the norm that we're not okay with these forms of harm and together we're going to do something about it. And that begins to kind of inoculate environments so that it makes it less likely um, that these forms of harm will continue to spread. Very interesting. Wow. Let's switch a little bit direction here. Again, I think this is a program that we could probably talk about forever. It's so interesting. But I'd like to hear a little bit about the collaboration among the three groups here, because each of you really represents a different group. So, Taylor, the way I understand it from our previous conversations is you initiated this. Can you say a little bit more about how this came together, how the three of you work together? Absolutely. So my role is very much under the Brown Foreman umbrella. Okay. So I support all of our brands, all of our employees, but I'm very corporate as well. So my job is to be the connector, to figure out what issues are appropriate for us to address and authentic for us to address and then pulling together the right partner to deliver those services and the right brand to get behind it. And then I've also been um, a champion in getting it, getting the training available for our own employees. Okay. But then to implement it after we did the initial learning and how does this work? How can we figure this out together? The implementation of it has been driven by Emma and her team on the Shamboard brand team. Okay, so how did you and Emma get together on this? Did you seek out Emma or did Emma seek you out? How did that partnership come together? Well, like a lot of Brown Foreman employees, we are very close personal friends. And, <laughs> okay, um, <laughs> good. I thought that was probably the case. <laughs> yes, we were interns together several years ago, have had numerous conversations about our passion for this type of work. And so kind of an initial, just what do you think? Do, is this, would Brown Foreman ever go for this? Could we take a stance? Can we do something? And then her own personal passion really helped drive it forward. So, Emma, what are your thoughts about this? You were, when Taylor came to you, you were excited from the beginning? Yeah, absolutely. So, like I said, we've been talking really for years about what is the right platform for the brands that I work on. Um, Previously, I've been working on the Jack Daniels brands. And so we'd always talked about the importance of doing something that is really specific to and authentic to the brand that it's tied to. So what's right for Jack Daniels is different than what's right for Sean Board. And so... You know, I think it's so, it's just an example of why it's important for our global responsibility to be really tied into the brands and know what our current programs are and platforms and what does the brand care about right now? Because then Taylor was able to identify this as, as a program that would make a lot of sense for our consumer and right. for some of the activities that we're doing. So it just kind of came out of an organic conversation, but part of that was constantly being in communication and not just, again, an afterthought or once a year giving a download on what the brands are doing. For those in our audience who work in corporate social responsibility, and we have usually have quite a few in our audience, the lesson here, it seems to me, is that you have to be out there 
forming relationships with the business in order to make things like this work. Would that be your take, Taylor? Yeah, 100%. It's all about relationships, being authentic, and being attuned to what's happening both in the world and within the company and being that connector for both. And I will say that from the brand side, you know, Taylor does an incredible job of doing her due diligence on understanding the business and what the business challenges are so that her recommendations are really not only realistic, but compelling to the brands. And that's something she's always built into the way that she goes about her job. That's great. And I think that's so important. Our audience, their companies are in various stages of how they go about CSR work. And what I've experienced with our clients is that they're becoming more strategic all the time. And this is a very strategic approach, it sounds to me like. It's very, the CSR person is very close to the business. You're targeting the brands. It's not that you're all about just corporate spin, but you're getting, the corporation's getting something out of it as they do something good for society. And I think that's really important to a lot of our listeners to understand how that works. So tell me how you brought Melissa into all of this. Who did that? And how did you decide that? I guess, Taylor, you said that you were familiar with her organization from college. But how did that happen? What happened, Melissa? How did they contact you? And how did you get involved? Again, we were being pulled into these larger challenges related to colleges and the military. I had experience that green dot training from the University of Kentucky, along with the founder, Dorothy Edwards. She was the one who trained me again, 15 years ago. And so I kind of researched where's altruistic now, where's green dot, and then made that initial connection. But I knew all along that we were not just looking to make a charitable donation. We really wanted to be a catalyst for getting the training to more and more people And so that's kind of the view that we had from the very beginning, not just, okay, we care about this and here's some dollars behind it, but what solution could we truly provide to it? So what I will say is that our experience with um, working with the alcohol industry or bartenders had been somewhat limited prior to this. Like we had done some things related to our community level work, but on a very small scale. So the opportunity to work with a company that is so was so dedicated to the training aspect, and again, not just about a charitable donation and supporting our work, but about really giving us access to their employees to learn about what the dynamics look like in the industry so that we could best craft and shape the training and and then piloting it and getting feedback and, you know, using um, data from surveys to kind of continue to make the best possible training for folks so that, you know, the time spent is the most impactful. That's been such a gift because that translates to, in real life, people that go through our training directly working their next shift and being able to create a safer environment right from the get-go. Right. Are people really involved? I mean, for the most part, do you find your audiences are really receptive or how does that work generally? 
Yes, we find that the audiences receive the training well and tend to participate fully and and really step into it. Our trainers, not to toot my own horn too much, but our trainers are excellent. They're engaging, they're funny, they have have great personalities, and they bring a, a personal lens and perspective. You know, these issues are real human issues that affect us on deeply personal levels. And so starting with that, that human connection is important. And it's where we start with our workshops. And so I think that allows the audience to feel like it's okay to, to lean in and to share. That's wonderful. So we do provide a survey link to all participants that go through our workshops so that they can um, let us know their takeaways and then give us any feedback about things that we could do to improve or to make it more relevant. It's really, really important to us that we um, are always taking those lessons learned to continue to get better and better. We want people to have a good experience. People often think, oh, I I got invited to a workshop around these difficult issues. It's probably going to be depressing or it's probably not going to be very hopeful or inspirational. In fact, what we want our session to feel like is very hopeful and inspirational and action focused. And in order to accomplish that, we need to make sure that the examples are really relevant to the audience. So that feedback loop and being able to have such great partnerships with people who can be honest and say, hey, tweak this thing has been really, really great. I think it's unique. Do people in your audience ever give you examples that you then incorporate? Absolutely. In fact, part of the workshop pulls for those examples and pulls for people kind of sharing, you know, both things that they've seen that have been concerning, but also sharing the reasons why it's been difficult maybe in the past to step into certain situations. And so we're, we're constantly taking notes as we're facilitating so that we can incorporate those real world perspectives, you know, just right into the next workshop that we do. That's wonderful. So it always stays relevant. Yeah, I admire those people who can, and it sounds like you have some really good people doing it at Altruistic. Well, so it sounds like this has been a good collaboration from the beginning. What makes it work? What are the things that you've learned through this collaboration? And I'm just going to open this up to anybody who has a thought about that. What What's worked really well in this collaboration for the three of you? So I think the first thing that we understood is that this work is not easy. It is hard. It's a hard subject to talk about. And it's hard for a beverage alcohol company to get their head around what this means. So we took a lot of time to talk about this, to influence even within Brown Foreman about why we should address this and how we can provide a real solution to it. But I think taking that time to get buy-in has made it the most powerful partnership because everyone understands the language that we're using and why. To get buy-in from whom? Mostly senior leaders. Great. Other thoughts about the collaboration and what's made that collaboration powerful? It sounds like it really is a powerful partnership among all three of you. Well, and one thing I want to point out with just the comment about senior leadership is since we brought this up, no one has had a question about whether this is needed. It's more a question of, are we the right people to be promoting this? Is this the right thing for our business? Is this opening us up to criticism? So I think that it's more out of caution um, that if there is any hesitance on the part of our internal stakeholders, right. but you know, this is something that from the get-go people realized is is really necessary. Good. So you've gotten a lot of support from the organization. That's great. 
I just wanted to echo the piece about taking time around these issues to to build the relationships and to build the proper understanding. That really goes back to that kind of proactive, how are we shaping our our community or the setting that we're working in, that piece about leadership buy-in is so important. Something like this can't take off without the right people um, endorsing it visibly and um, speaking about it in a positive way and truly understanding it. And Taylor and her team did such a great job of pulling the right people in, of letting us have FaceTime with people to explain, you know, all of the ins and outs of the program. And that was really invaluable. That's great. Wonderful. So what kind of tips would you like to leave for our listeners? Are there some you must do this types of tips or please never do that types of tips that you want our listeners to take away from this podcast? Taylor, you want to start? Do you have any? So I would just say, unfortunately, where we are in the world, the need is so great. It's huge within bars and restaurants. It's huge within workplaces no matter what industry you are in. So I'll just encourage you to get involved because it takes all of us to learn these skills of how to recognize the signs and then ways to intervene, like Melissa said, that are best for you. Right. So how would a a listener get involved? What would be an option? And maybe that's a question for Melissa. So we have a website where people can hop on to read more about the different kinds of programs that we offer and to get in touch with us. It's just altruistic.org. That's probably the best way for someone to reach out if they're interested in starting a conversation, either about how this might look um, within their company or ways that as an individual, they might be able to connect in their local community um, with work that's already happening. That's probably the the first best way. In terms of tips or, or takeaways, I would just say that the need is great and it's good for business to make sure that your employees and your constituents are safe. And so I think the hesitancy yeah, right. for a lot of businesses can be, you know, aligning with an issue related to violence might have a negative impact. And I think in this day and age, and especially if you work with um, an experienced nonprofit or, or, or program developer like us, we can craft messages in a way that is really, really good for business. Yes, that is very important. That's a great takeaway. Emma, do you have any thoughts about what you would like the listeners to take away from your end of things here? Yeah, I think just understanding that there are brands out there that are trying to be thoughtful about what's the best way that they can deliver value to their consumers and we're marketing for them and not to them. And I think that that's something that more and more brands are doing, which is really wonderful. And that's being led really, I think, by the consumer because we know that that's what our consumers care about. Yeah, definitely. Well, so Taylor, if one of our listeners wanted to be involved with Brown Foreman around these issues, is there any opportunity for that? What might that look like if there's an opportunity at all? Absolutely. So we are always here to help and to be that connector to resources and share about our journey on this. So we'll provide my email. Feel free to reach out and I'm happy to discuss. Okay. All right. Well, listeners, you can get more about the these three people, these three guests on the show notes on our website, and we will provide you with a link to Altruistic. So if you want to reach out, you can. And thank you so much to all three of you. This has been very, very interesting. And I just think this is a fascinating program and so needed right now. So I appreciate your being willing to come and share your thoughts and share some examples 
examples with us today. Thanks for listening to the Conscious Culture Cafe. If you liked what you heard, connect with us at millerconsultants.com. You can access the show notes and receive our free materials. See you next episode.